Thanks, Kirk. Thanks to all the intercessors for wrapping it up. By the time we finish, the prayer can't resist. And I love what's going on here today. Like, just the, it's just so the Lord and and His graciousness to us in in terms of both the natural and the supernatural, the, the, the now and the not yet of the kingdom and all of those things. It's all happening here this morning. What a wonderful time of worship. What a magnificent time of worship. And I found myself laughing in the, in, after song number two because I just had this sense where the Lord was like, the, the, what the, the outpouring of what was going on in us, it was like, I just had to laugh at him because I could just see it was like, you just can't resist coming to us, can you? Because of what's going on here right now, it was that that sense of a father just longing to go. Oh, I got to get in there. I got to get beside the kids. Look at them go. Look at look at look at the praise and the worship that's going on. It was such a wonderful time. And and then we've got prophetic words going on. And there was a, a variety of different things about kingdom life, like what God's wanting to do. And then we get into the laundry of finances in in the church. It's and it's all a part of the kingdom, all of it. Every bit of it, all of it is a part of the kingdom. And so I'm excited for the word this morning. I'm excited for what the Lord has been talking to me about because all of that stuff is relevant um, to what we're going to talk about this morning. But to support the youth today, a little bit of trivia for you. Get you warmed up for next Friday. All right, here we go. What significant event happened on May 29, 1953? Ooh. You need some hints? I don't know if this is happening at Trivia. So um, it involved two men. I'll give you that. No, it wasn't the Olympics. Think about 53. Olympics go on the zeros, the fours, the eights, the twos on the evens. Sorry? Oh, Mr. Les, look out for Les on, uh, look out for Les on Friday night. This is true. <laughs> Get on Les's TV or hire Les. How much you? How much do? What, what's your going rate, mate? Yeah. <laughs> so yes, well done. May 29, 1953. For a bonus point. No, that's not the bonus point. Who was the other guy? Neil. Neil. Neil MacArthur. How much are you going for on Friday night? <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, no, Neil already yelled it out. So, yeah, you're just a little bit. So, Tenzing um, Norgay was his name. The two of them reached the 29,000-plus foot summit of Mount Everest. Only just poor guys that have done it before them. Some got within 100 feet when I was researching this. Literally 100 feet of the summit and had to turn back. Thus was the exhaustion and lack of oxygen that they had they had to turn around literally probably looking at it right in front of them and just couldn't go another step forward i was going to give you a video but for the sake of time today we won't we won't go there and today but it's worth having a little bit of a look at the um the the relationship between uh, tenzing and and sir edmund hillary because it was a beautiful thing it was very much not about sir edmund hillary the great australian that he was um That was a test as well. <laughs> he is actually a Kiwi in New Zealand. I was just seeing if Stephen and Lisa would 
start twitching up the back there or not, and I don't think they did, but it's okay. We've still got Crowded House and the Pavlova. We can still claim that, so don't worry. It's all good. Another test. It's actually both their New Zealand inventions as well and people. Um, anyway, moving on. It's a, it was a wonderful feat to conquer the highest mountain on earth. To stand for no more than about 15 minutes was literally the only amount of time they were up there for. Had an embrace and a handshake, a photo, and pretty much turned around, took it in for a couple of minutes, turned around, came back down before they probably died. Um, and uh, yeah, made it back down, and thus it is history um, from there. The story of climbing and the, the analogy of, of mountain climbing, I've often thought of my life a lot around that analogy. I know there's many we can use, but that one for me is a, is a good one. I had the privilege when I was, gosh, the age of Jacob now, my oldest son who you just saw up here, of doing a, uh, a peak ascent to about 10,000 feet. Don't get too excited. We drove up to about 8,000 feet. So, <laughs> But we did have to hike for quite a few days doing different activities to then do that peak ascent. And I can tell you I had so much respect for climbers because we just walked. We were not pickaxing, mountain rock climbing, camper packs and all that kind of stuff. But to even get to 10,000 feet, oh, I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted. By the time we actually got, got to that point, it was literally one foot in front of the other. You could barely get the other foot in front of the other. Maybe half a foot was the step you were taking to get to the top. But I think about that journey we took and, and, and it wasn't necessarily just about reaching the destination. It was the journey we took along the way together that made that such a special time and why I think about uh, life from a perspective of doing a, a climb, of doing a mountain climb. It was all of that journey. You know, if, if we want to go back to Edmund Hillary and, and Tenzing, you may, what you may not know is they were actually part of an extremely large expedition group. There were 350 porters, there were 20 Sherpas and there were 10 climbers. So Sir Edmund may not have been the guy who was selected because the, the guy who was the organiser, I can't remember his name, he was an English military um, man. Oh, gosh, who was that? There we go. Well, how much, Adam? I, I, uh, <laughs> Andrew, how much, you might want to see him about going on your table if you haven't got him. Um, and if you've got some room, but it, then 10 climbers. But and as they all journeyed together, it actually became about, there was no sense of these are the people as the journey started that will make the peak ascent. We'll all go, we'll support them. And then basically they get the final push to go up. It was actually, who's the fittest? Who looks like they can actually make the peak ascent was the way they selected. So nobody knew until literally a couple of days, if not before the actual peak ascent would happen. So there was such a sense of team in a climb that was going on, relevant to life. Edmund Hillary, you may not know, he was actually saved by Tenzing. He slipped and he started to slide down an ice crevice and uh, Tenzing caught the rope and, and, and saved him, which is um, another part of the famous story. And the accomplishment in reaching the peak, I hope you're thinking about your own life as I talk about this and the analogies that relate to this. The accomplishment was never about one person. It was never, ever about one person. Um, Edmund Hillary actually said this. Let me read these words. To a mountaineer, it's of no great consequence who actually set foot first. Often the one who puts the more into the climb steps back and lets his partner 
stand on top first. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. The one who puts all the effort in is often the one that takes the step back right at the last minute and says to the mate, off you go, you go up there first and I'll watch as you do so. Beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. And then you can broaden the analogy. You know, there are times where circumstances, a specific circumstance on life can feel like an Everest right in front of us. And as we climb, it can feel like the air is getting thin and it's hard to breathe. And we start to ask questions and wonder if we can make it, whether it's mental questions, physical. We, we wonder, am I, am I going to get there? And it can be like my trudge up the mountain. It's literally a shuffle as we try and climb the mountain. But then we can also think about life being a journey across mountain ranges if we wanted to. Not that, and, and I've been really challenged to think about life and, and climbing the mountains and the journey we take, not from the perspective that necessarily the, the climb to the peak is hard. We are, it's a mountain, it's, it's hard to climb. But maybe the journey is actually worth it. That maybe the peak ascent is actually worth it when we get there and we can look and take in the view from where, not only where we've been, but where we're going to go or what's around us. Maybe the valleys are not the great thing about the journey that we take. The Bible actually uses it in a famous psalm, Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, valleys are not always full of beautiful rivers, little creatures and flowers and whatever the wonderful analogy you might have around that. Maybe the valley is a good place because it also means we need rest on the journey. It could be both. But I think we sometimes put down uh, an analogy like life is like, you know, the circumstances is hard. It's like a mountain climb. It's a trudge. Maybe some of our perspective on that can change as we move through life. And we could actually view it for what it is in the midst of what is going on in around us. We can definitely, I think, in all of those circumstances, like Sir Edmund, as he started to near, near the top, the mental voices started to kick in. Can you do it? I'm not sure you can go on. I'm not sure you can take another step. I'm not sure it's going to be good for you if you do. We can relate to that, I think, in our times and from the last three years. We definitely know about the voices that try and creep in as we take the journey. But whatever the climb, the descent or the valley, it all has a purpose. And like Edmund and like Tenzing, we do it with Jesus. Edmund was a Christian. He placed a cross at the top of Mount Everest when he made it. He left a crucifix at the top of Mount Everest. We're always on the journey with Jesus. And so today I want to bring a word of encouragement to press on and press in, no matter where you find yourself in life. We've, we just experienced all these different things that were going on. The Lord's already saying, I'm quite aware of all the different things that are going on in life. You know, a, a time of praise and worship, a time of talking about finances, a time of, of um, prophetic words around what's going on in people's lives and the encouragement from the Lord of what he wants you to do. It birthing, leaning in, there was words coming out around what that can look like. We are all in different circumstances, but as I think about this journey of life, I'm driven 
time and time again. And as I think about it from a challenge, the perspective of climbing and, and journeying on a mountain, I can't help but go to Philippians chapter 3. I always, always think about Philippians chapter 3. I want to put out a word just quickly right now that anything I say today where your circumstances that are going on, where it's clear the kingdom of God is not yet broken in. I'm never, ever talking about just accepting those circumstances, okay? Can I put that out there as a premise to all that goes on today? We seek the kingdom always, but in the midst of what's going on, Jesus is always with us. And that's the thing that I want you to hold on to. So please don't think that I'm blanketing this, whether you just got to accept everything that's going on in your life. We seek the kingdom always and we seek Jesus first. Let's, um, I'm going to read a little bit of a chunk of Philippians chapter 3 and 4 today. Let's read it together and then we'll have a little bit of a chat about it. So I'm going to start from verse 7 in Philippians 3. Sorry, I haven't put it on the screen today. My apologies. Um, but if you have your apps and things, otherwise have a listen to me reading. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Udia and I plead with Syntyche, I can never pronounce that one, that one's a tricky one, Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do anything through him who gives me strength. I love reading big chunks of scripture like that. It tells a great story, not only of, of who, who we are, but of, of Jesus and who he is. More broadly, this book is a wonderful, wonderful book about pressing in and pressing on. Paul is exhorting, he's received a gift that he has needed because he's actually in prison at the time of writing Philipp, uh, Philippians. And yet he writes these eloquent words. And I am in a place consistently when I read the, the book of, of Philippians, it challenges me consistently to think about my approach, to think about um, how I think about things, to, think, to align that with Jesus. And sometimes it's so frustratingly so because I haven't seen the yet of the kingdom of God. And yet here is Paul writing this letter. And let's remember this. Paul is writing from a Roman prison. Now, there's nothing good about prison, modern, ancient, whatever. There's nothing good about prison. But in Roman prison, there was no government standard of what the care and the, and the should be. You were on your own and at the mercy of those who loved you or the family or benevolence of a stranger at times. And you were also probably on, on your own in the sense of what the guards wanted to have happen, the guards made happen. That's the, that was the nature. There was no sense of, of this is the standard of care that you receive while you're in prison. And so Paul finds himself in a deep place of daily, potentially wondering, where's my next meal coming from? And that's why in the book and what we just read, he says, thank you and I've learned to be content no matter what I'm going through because he's literally leaning into... And like Neil said, leaning into Jesus for his very survival at this time. So he's got that going on. And then he also, um, he has this, um, he has this situation where he has the threat of death hanging over him. He's not sure if he's going to live or if he's going to die, if you read the rest of Philippians. So he's waking up daily going, well, is it time? I don't know. Might be, might not be. I don't know, that's going to, anxiety, mental health issues, how would we all be feeling if you had to wake up each day not knowing, is today the day, am I going to be in heaven today or not, and you'll hear, if you read the rest of Philippians, the wrestle that Paul is going through, should I stay or should I go, what will happen, he actually comes to the conclusion that it's better for him to stay on on earth, um, if you read the rest. He is separated from the people he loves. He cannot get to those who he's converted to Christ and his heart's desire to go back, visit them, or to create more churches. Not only is he separated from his loved ones, 
like literally separated. We're not talking jump on a flight, go visit people. The people, it's like for them to come and see him would be a massive deal for them to be able to travel and go and see Paul because of where he was and the distance and, and the troubles of travel, the safety of travel. So he's separated from those that he loves and wants to be with and relies on reports from people like Epaphroditus who came and saw him in prison. Then he's also got his life's work that's in danger. It's mentioned there. He's wondering, will these young fledgling churches, he's left to wonder, like John the Baptist in prison where he said, Jesus, are you the one? Are you sure that you're the one? You know, John was, he's not around. What's going on? He can't see it. He's in prison. And Paul is now wondering, what's going to happen with my life's work? I don't know. Will, will they survive these mutilators of the flesh, he says in other books. And he gave a good chunk in here of the people he's talking about. So Paul's got all these circumstances. There's many more you can read in Philippians. If you read a little bit between the lines, you'll pick up that Paul is going through it in a big way in life. And yet on the other side of the coin, like what we just read, there are these beautiful statements that he calls out about, about who he is in Christ, about what he desires in Christ. Remember, he's not doing it from a place of I'm in great wealth, I'm sitting back on the ocean contemplating life. He's daily wondering if he's going to die and how he's going to eat. And yet these words flow out of Paul's mouth as he cries out. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or in death. What a heart cry. Chapter 2, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and act and, in, um, and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Written from a guy who's in prison. That takes some guts to be writing these kind of words and crying out these heart cries. But whatever was to, um, gains to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Wonderful, wonderful words. And it culminates in Philippians 2. We sung a song at the start of worship today, which I think in worship is a beautiful summary of the gospel. That standing awe song is just a wonderful, wonderful song to sing, worship and praise song, to sing to the Lord. And it reminds me of the gospel. And in chapter 2, if you read from verses 6 to 11, there is a beautiful poem that Paul writes from prison in all of his circumstances where he summarizes the Jesus, the gospel, and he says who Jesus was, what he did, and now where he is, and I'm sorry to make those words so simple because the poem itself, it's worth um, remembering. It's worth taking the memory because if you want to know how to tell somebody a quick snippet of the gospel, remember those verses and tag it with what it meant for you in your life. Beautiful way to tell people who Jesus is, short little sentence, tag it with who, you, who what he's done in your life to make it personal, and there you go, you've got your gospel testimony within two minutes. That's my, one of my encouragements today. But so we've got this sense of Paul struggling 
And we've got this sense of Paul also, though, content and calling the Philippian church to say, press in and press on to that which you have been called to, just as I'm doing, even as I'm in prison and wondering what's going to happen with me. These circumstances don't dictate what's going to happen to me. Jesus does. I'm not just leaning into the present, the thing that's in front of my nose, because I've lost all things for the sake of Christ. And so now I lean into, as Neil gave that word before in worship, I lean into who Jesus is and who Jesus says I am because he is sufficient in all circumstances and all all that's going on. Now, again, remember the premise I said. If your circumstance is of the enemy and not of the kingdom of God, we press in to see change just like Paul did. He was saying, I'm praying about it and I think I'll be released. He was crying out for it. He wasn't just just sitting there, whatever, he was crying out for it. He wanted to be released from prison. So please, again, if your circumstances are not of the kingdom, we want to press in and press on to see breakthrough in those areas. But whether it's how we'll give time to serving in the kingdom, what our eyes see, what our mind thinks about, whether it's our health, whether it's cost of living, whether it's financial strength, whether it's loving others, whether it's seeking guidance, whether it's starting a relationship or marriage, um, whether it's helping others, life's purposes, day-to-day activities, dealing with mental health, the goal is Christ. The goal is Jesus, and the goal is to press in and to press on, just like Paul said, forgetting what is behind. I strive to now what is ahead, and press in and I press on. So how? How do we, how do we press in and how do we press on? Well, the wonderful thing about what Paul does, and the reason why I read such a big chunk of Scripture, is he gives some really, 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 I'll say it again, really, 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 good hints of what we can do to press on and press into Christ in all that he's called us into, to take hold of that which we already have and to keep moving forward and moving into the more of Jesus becoming like him as we just cried out in worship before. So how do we do that? Can we move to the next slide? I'm a research and designer by by trade, if you want to call it that. So I can't resist us doing a little bit of an activity today that you would be able to take forward today, your week, year, whatever that looks like. So in chapter 4, Paul, if you want to have a read, and yeah, take a photo, take notes, whatever you want to do. This is where we get practical. Preaching is never about just having your ears tickled and out we go at the door and we forget about what was said. And we move on and we just struggle with the same things day in, day out. God speaks through what happens in worship, as we just heard, but also through the people that get up here. He wants to get our attention to something. We don't get up here. Well, I pray we don't. No, we don't. Here in the vineyard, we do not get up preaching what's our good ideas. We seek God for what he wants to say. And so I want to encourage you to take um, this activity today and take it forward. Take it beyond today. Take it beyond just being here and and carry it forward into your life because Paul writes some they're called exhortations but he's calling them on and so if you're calling people on he's going to give them some hints and suggestions about what that could look like and so 
he says things like in Philippians 4, which we just read, and so you're going to need to go back and double-check this because I'm summarizing them up here, but they're in there. Work on your relationships. So he says in verse 4, um, I plead with you and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. I, yes, I ask you, your, your loyal, yoke fellow, I think that's an old translation, so I've got an old Bible here. Help these women who have contended by my side. So there's a sense where these women um, have been with Paul, they're following Jesus, but there's a point of contention. And he's like, work on your relationships. That We're never meant to do this alone, right? And, and Kirk said this so beautifully in um, communion for those that were here last week about the communal aspect of who we are together. It was wonderful, wonderful time where the Holy Spirit fell on what he was saying in our time of communion. And we're never meant to do that together. And if, <laughs> if over the last three years, if one of the things I'm now convinced that's happened, there's been an exponential push towards isolation and independence. Never has there been more people working from home. Now, I'm not saying working from home is a bad thing. Don't, don't hear me saying that. It has wonderful um, health and well-being things. But it's creating if we're not careful, a disconnect where people are not physically around each other as much anymore and, in fact, lean towards not being around each other. We get more tired around each other because of the last three years than in a long time in our lives. I don't, I'm not going to go into history, but particularly in our own lifespan right now in the last decades, people get tired quicker around people. But Paul says, work on your relationships with each other. If you're going to go and press in and press on in Christ, be together, work on the differences that you might have. The Lord will make those things clear and he'll help you to restore those things. Press in and press on into relationships with, um, with each other. Rejoice. These aren't all, these, are, uh, these things are good. Lots of these things are really, really good things to do to press in and press on. Some of them actually linked together. Paul links them together quite intricately. So not rejoice and thanksgiving. Uh, sorry, prayer and thanksgiving. He puts the two of them in the same sentence, although I've separated them out. Rejoice, pray always, be thankful, be gentle to all. Contentment. Now that's a big one, right? Cost of living's gone up. We're all, we're with, we just talked about finances and things. And Paul would say from prison with literally nothing but reliance on those that are around him and supporting him, he would say, I have learned to be content whether I have a lot or whether I have little in Christ. I'm okay because I lean into him. Contentment in life circumstances. Now we could draw that out and we could talk about contentment in our workplace. Contentment in the house we have, what we currently have in terms of our Things, contentment, rather than being driven for the more and the next toy and the next gadget. Sometimes it's good to sit back for a period of time and be content with what we actually have and lean into Jesus in the midst of that, that he's enough and sufficient. Allow the peace of God which transcends understanding to guard your heart and your mind. If there's a statement to reflect on and to... to, um, to meditate on before the Lord right now with anxiety and all the things and mental health going around, right there. Do that. Practice that throughout the week and watch the transformation that will happen 
in you and those around you. Don't be anxious. Well, that links to contentment quite quite heavily, doesn't it? Don't be anxious in anything, but in all things, come before the Lord in all that you're going through. Control your thoughts. Now, this is the whole whatever is no true, noble. This statement goes to control your thoughts and focus them on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, or praiseworthy. What are you seeing? What are you taking in? What are you thinking throughout the week? Paul's encouragement to us, as he says, to press in and press on as we go forward. Think about such things like that. If we were to actually literally take stock of our lives right now, how often do our thoughts go to things like that versus the other way? Is there an imbalance that happens in our minds as we think about Christ, as we think about our life in Christ versus what our present circumstances or the voices, and there's lots of them, would actually try and say to us? And that's why Paul would go on to in other letters to say, take captive your thoughts. Take every thought captive to Christ. Romans, right? Romans? Romans, Neil? Take every thought captive? Yep, good, got it. Romans. Um, put what you know into practice <laughs> where the rubber hits the road. That's a good one if we want to press in and press on. Actually do the things of the kingdom. I'm not saying we're not. But maybe the Lord would want to ask us to take another step forward into the activities of the kingdom. So there's some of the content. So now as a good researcher, which one or two stood out to you when I read them? Or right now, which one or two is the Holy Spirit pointing out to you that when I said it, there was either a little check or it came across stronger or... A circumstance in your life just went bang straight into your mind when I said it. Or a person came into your mind as soon as I said it. Which one? You don't have to say it. I'm just asking you which one. Which one is your current Everest? Now I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that might not have asked the Holy Spirit much before, lean into everybody else around you. He's here uh, right now. So participate in the exercise because I believe he will speak to you in the midst of this, even if you haven't talked to him much before. But ask the Holy Spirit, why did he highlight that one? What was it about that in your life? Why was he highlighting that one thing that you can press in and press on on? What was it that he was speaking to you about and why? I'm just going to give a moment. Again, we're not tickling ears. We actually want, we said in worship and we cried out a lot, come change us. Let us lean in, Lord, to you. So lean in. My experience as you're doing that with the Lord my experience in the kingdom of God is the sum of lots of little moments have caused me to grow more than the one mountaintop. The step-by-step-by-step by step by step journey and the sum of those are the most transformative things in my life that have caused me to become more like Jesus. 
I still celebrate the big things, don't get me wrong. But these kind of things where we pay attention to those little moments and then we ask the Lord, what's the next step? They matter. They really matter. So why did the Lord point that one out to you? What does he want you to do? That's the next question. What does he want you to do about that thing? Now, that might be a now thing in terms of responding. That might be a through-the-week thing or through the year. I trust in the Lord that he's speaking to you right now. What does he want you to do about it? Because Paul's encouragement through Philippians to us is put it into practice. Put what you've seen, what you've heard into practice. And the promise from Paul is that the Spirit of Christ will come into you and he'll give you strength to get through it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit.